My purpose in life is to make a difference in the lives of other people. Betty Rabo is to West Africa what Anna Winter is to the world. The very queen, sitting atop the lifestyle, determining what is cool and what is not, curating the culture, directing its attention and along the way, inspiring women and creators to find their voice, to follow their truths and to make change happen. It's very important that while we're empowering our women, we do not tilt the scale too much against the men. Her magazine, Genevieve, literally created an entire industry in Nigeria. Most of our features, most of our content reflect what is going on in people's lives and in the society. My magazine, Why, and very many others crediting her bold step when Nigeria's lifestyle media industry appeared dead post-military rule with giving them wings to fly. How does a woman who has everything, a famous husband, a famous brand, children to envy, a body to die for even at 60, and the brightest, most beautiful friends, try to take her own life, not just once but several times? What led her to inject herself with steroids in a desperate attempt to find some light in her darkness and help her deal with grief, insomnia, and clinical depression? How did she find herself from the gilded chambers of a colorful life to the dark corners of Nigeria's infamous psychiatric hospital? She has told the story in her new book, Dust to Dew, and she tells me the story on today's conversation. I learned to fall in love with my imperfections, and that's what beauty is all about. You've said on, I remember once somebody put up a, a post on, on Twitter or Instagram and said, stop saying suicide is an act of cowardice. Mm -hmm. And you said, and you reposted it and you said people should pay attention to that. Yeah. What were you trying to communicate with that? Because I have been through it and I know that you're not a coward for taking your life. Because at that particular time, you're not thinking. You're not thinking about the pain of the way you decide to go. Mm. You're not thinking about the people you're leaving behind. You're just in a bad place. You're, you're, you've had a meltdown. So it's, you're not doing it for selfish reasons, but you're in so much pain, emotional, mental pain, that mm. all you want to do is not to feel that pain anymore. anymore. And for you at that particular time, what seemed to be the way out is suicide. So it's not an act of cowardice at all. You know, I mean, if somebody says, okay, let me say, what's the one thing yeah. that she doesn't have? Okay, she's not Dangote. That's right. She's not Otedola. Yes. But in terms of the things that we so think... So why would she... Why would she? So that's the first part. Second part is, oh my God, I'm not alone. <laughs> I didn't plan to open up and um, I had seen a tweet right. 
and I didn't ask for permission to be invited because yeah. there are some things that you know if you want to support you just show up so you don't put pressure on people and I, I remember you saying oh my god Antibet is coming pressure <laughs> pressure but I had worn my kaftan my boo-boo no makeup and I didn't plan to share I just felt let me support you let me go there and listen and I got there and I was thinking okay today has everything he's successful he's so well put together he's a strong Nigerian man and and all that and then when you started talking about your own encounter and your own um, experience, I felt, you know what, let me also go out there and say, share a bit. But the moment I got there, I decided that it was either I opened up completely or not. And I was in that place where I didn't care anymore about this facade, this celebrity facade of having it all well put together, you know, you, I just felt, let me go there and say my story. And opening up, initially I felt vulnerable, but then it was all about the daily vulnerable. <laughs> I felt very vulnerable, I felt very naked, yeah. I felt, but I felt a huge weight had been lifted off me. Mm sharing giving a glimpse at, as at that time i didn't know exactly the direction my book would take mm. i was writing about entrepreneurship ah, i right. was writing about parenting marriage right. i was writing about low self-worth insecurities right. my father leaving yes. and how it affected me on yes. forgiveness i was writing about those but i hadn't reached a stage where i said to myself i'm going to open up about that but the moment i did that right. i felt okay the word is out there now let's put that in my book mm. and then when the book came I, I was very very vulnerable i opened up and later i ran to the publishers no 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 take out all that part and she said to me mrs Irabo, this is the message the, the bulk of the message is to let people know that it's okay not to have it to, not to have it all together and then it took some conviction some convincing for me to say okay let me have it then you know when you get to a certain place in your life and a certain age you've seen it all and then you're no longer afraid of taboo you're no longer afraid of stigma mm. i have my family and i said to them are you guys okay with this i sent them the manuscript as far as i was concerned once they didn't feel scandalized i was okay to share my story and mm. I'm really really happy about the 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 effect yes. it's having on yes. people because people are reaching out to you people yeah. who are saying that they, they might not make it to tomorrow yeah. people who are cutting themselves younger people who are going through mm -hmm. things as basic as you know you know singlehood and rejection, stigma, rejection career insecurity yeah insecurities yes. right. you know what has hearing these stories mm. what has that done to you how, how have what has that said to you you know what has that shown yeah. you that it's okay to tell the world a lie but to tell yourself a lie i think that's the biggest deception because if you're not in a good place you should be able to say i, I don't know how i'm feeling today it's okay but people are so afraid of living their best lives in all the in all the the the, the reality knowing that hey i don't have it all together but I'm still here I am on a journey what I do not have now 
I, I would work towards having it. Believe me, since the book came out, I'm less worried about my bank balance. I'm less worried about owning more properties. I'm less worried about, I'm just in a good place. When I wake up now, every morning, I'm like, God, I actually slept through the night. Because who really wakes up grateful that they slept? Who really wakes up and thinks it's a big deal? Mm that I had six hours sleep. Mm. It's like your entitlement. But when you've gone through years of sleep deprivation yes. and then you actually sleep and you wake up, you're like, oh my God, I slept. Mm. And so when I wake up in the morning, I'm thinking, Father Lord, I slept. Mm. Um, I'm not that skinny, insecure woman who fretted about everything, who whose insecurities were so, um, heavy on her. I am a, a, I'm a different person. I'm happier and I know that I actually am in control of what I choose to internalize of, that I can actually filter the things I do not want in my life. Still to come. It was hilarious to describe people in that place as mad people. Many, many years later, I am one of those people that we used to really love to scorn. Um, your visit to, to Yaba. Yeah. Yes. And it was dramatic. That's a dramatic story. You know, if you share it with us, because, and I've heard it many times, but I have to remember on the show that people haven't heard it. Because yeah. You have to deal with uncertainty and doubt and stigma, very personal stigma, yes. even with your driver. That's right. Before you decide, yes, 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 yes. please, ma'am. So um, I had seen about nine doctors, GPs and psychiatrists, and um, an uncle had come and said to, there is a doctor at Yaba Left, Yaba Neuropsychiatric Hospital. And I was at that place where all I needed was my sanity. So going to Yaba, I had reached a place, I mean, they say he who is down need fear no fall. So I was already down. I was on grass level mm. and I was looking for where I could find help. Mm. So this morning, my driver has been with me for 15 years since Genevieve. And uh, I got into the car and he said, Madam, where are we going? I said, Yaba Psychiatric Hospital. And he lost it. He said, Yaba Psychiatric Hospital. Madam, that place is for mad people. What are you going to do there? And I lied. I said, um, I need to go and interview a, a professor on uh, mental health for an edition we're doing. He said, Madam, you shouldn't be seen there. Why are you not sending an editor? And he was so pained. Yes. He was so reactive. Yes. He was, he felt scandalized. I wasn't sure if he was thinking more of himself driving his <laughs> madam to insane people. You know, and he persisted. He literally stopped the car like, Madam, you can't be seen there. Wow. But as I said, I was past yes. being ridiculed. I was past caring about stigma. So I just smiled and I prayed he would stop that conversation. And when we got to the gates, he was trying to look for a place to park where, and it's a Mercedes. So we parked and I got to the gate and I said to the gate man, I want to see Professor so-and-so. So I went upstairs, saw the professor, and I came back, I got into the car, 
and both of us were quiet. It was a very humbling um, incident for me in the sense that growing up as a young child in Methodist Girls High School Yaba, it was, it was hilarious to describe people in that place as mad people. And many, many years later, I am one of those people that we, we used to really love to scorn. The truth is, Yaba left is full of broken hearts, broken dreams. It's full of people who woke up and who, who in their lifetime felt, I'm going to be this big person, the world is going to know my name. And then they have a mental breakdown in a society that does not know anything about empathy and does not know about human, humanizing mental health. So you go there and you're further stigmatized. We need to begin to get some of these mental health therapies to undergo, I don't know what it is, but they need to be told how to address, mm. how to deal with people who walk into their, their, uh, their, their, their hospital, yeah. their, their clinics, yeah. because they are clueless. Yes. Yes. They're clueless. And that, that, that was for me, you know, an experience. And I think a lot of people felt, oh my God, yeah. poor Auntie Betty, you yeah. had to go through this. Yes. Well, how do you react to that? People that think, poor Auntie Betty, you had to go through this. I'm like, I needed help. Yes, and you. And I went for it. Um, I was past being shamed. Yes. And you know, most times, shaming, taboo, stigmas come from you believing that you can be stigmatized. At that stage, like now, people say to me that, okay, how, how do your siblings feel about this book? You, you, poured, you, you poured out so much. And I'm thinking, you know, we're all very civilized. We're all, <laughs> we're all very proud that I'm sharing this story because ultimately, it's the number of people who benefit from this. Yes. You know, so in my nakedness, in my outpouring of what I went through, I'm just thinking that, one more person, two more people would benefit from this and know that they're not alone. When we return, Betty Irabo speaks on her many battles. I always felt I wasn't good enough. I always felt I hadn't achieved enough. I always felt like a failure. I felt very unaccomplished because at that particular time, you're not looking at your successes. You're looking at the little thing that you haven't done. One of the things that you mentioned in the yeah. book yeah. was um, trying to get help. Yes. And then this friend of yours yeah. recommends seeing this doctor and says this doctor will... Yeah. He has the this, joy, the, the joy, joy yes. And there's a second question I want to ask following from that, yeah, as to our society. But first, there was so there was that, and she says, you so you go, you meet the doctor, you take this, it's the, really helpful, yeah. But then, they, what they don't tell you is what you were being injected with, yes, steroids and all of that, yeah. yes, yes. And so, you quickly go off that because you're like, I yeah. don't want to compound, and yeah. But I had the injection, yeah. and I was supposed to top up in three months, right. but again, I was in. I was in search of answers yes. and someone had said to me, oh, there's this doctor. She didn't tell me what I would get. Yeah. So, and I'm sitting in front of the doctor. He has a smiling face and it's like, oh, you see all those people you see around, you know, they come here. They are going through stuff. I have the 
perfect answer. And I'm like, what is he said? An injection. I said, tell me more about the injection. Like, it's called the joy injection. For someone with me, someone like me, a publisher, I'm a journalist, I'm used to asking questions, I'm used to analyzing issues. But right there, yes. I wasn't thinking beyond, oh, there's something that can take me to a place where this madness can can stop. Yes. So it was like my brain was screaming, bring it on. So it got I got the injection in my stomach there. Right. And happily I called my friend Barbara. Because even speaking with her, she's like, oh, wow, is that Betty? And I'm like, yes. Said, what happened? You sound very cheerful and happy. I said, oh, I took this jaw injection. And she was a jaw injection because she's a scientist. Right. She read chemistry. And then because she was having blues moments, but nothing like mine, right. she just said, oh, let me go. And knowing my friend, she probably wanted to go and see what it was I got. And then she sat down, asked questions. And I was like, how is it? And she said, I didn't take it. Why? Steroid. And that moment again, I felt, God, will I, in the process of looking for answers, not kill myself one day before I actually decide to overdose? Mm. So it, and you're not the only one, I mean, I meet, I see my aunties and they are telling me about their friends and it is ETC. Yeah. And so how can all this, and I mean, to be honest, sometimes you don't need to, you don't need to look too far. Yeah. You know, there are some things you will see and you know that this person isn't secure. It's not even a judgment, it's just an observation. Yes. This person isn't confident. Yeah. And you think, well, how can you have this amount of money, this amount of your kids are in Stanford or at Yale or whatever, how can you still be insecure? You know, that's the question that people yeah. are asking. Yeah. How? Because for younger people, they're like, okay, me, I can understand. I'm, I'm 22 yes. or 30 something. Yeah. I don't have what I want. But if this woman has yeah. the husband, the last day, yeah. the jewelry, the gold, Everything. the business class ticket, how can she be insecure? The most of us have issues that we have not dealt with. I think for me, I always felt I wasn't good enough. I always felt I hadn't achieved enough. I always felt like a failure. I felt very unaccomplished wow. because at that particular time, you're not looking at your successes. Hmm. You're looking at the little thing that you haven't done. How we, I always say that if I hadn't gone through depression, I wouldn't understand it. You can't. I would, I would tell you you are joking. I would say it doesn't make sense. Yes. You know, and I look back and I think, oh God. You know, so there are two parts of it. First, and first part of it is, mm. I feel if I hadn't gone through the depression, yeah, I would have been dealing with low grade unhappiness, and I would never have known <laughs> yeah. that I could take charge of my own story. Yes, and I could, you know, and it wouldn't have led to all of these things that have happened. No, and that's the one thing. The second thing is, my God, it's it's almost even though I'm grateful for it, mm -hmm. I cannot imagine how I survived going through that moment. Yes. And, I remember one of the most compelling passages, and which is the one I read at your book launch, yeah. was the one about trying to kill yourself yeah. and your husband rushing into the room yeah. and all of that. You yeah. know, when you think back to those times mm. now, mm. from this place of gratitude mm -hmm. and light and yeah. ETC, what do you think? What do you feel? You just feel like you're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just slap <laughs> you. We were going to do that. Yes, yes. But that's why I now said, you know, when people say that it's an act of cowardice yes. to try and, you know, at that particular time, it was the best escape. But now I don't see anything ahead of me that can take me to that place. Because in a kind of strange way, 
I have managed to find a way of dealing with things that would normally knock me down. Because that day also, there was a voice. The voice was strong. I woke up in the morning and I was expecting my husband to go to church so I could do what I needed to do. Yeah. And it was in my way. And when he didn't go to church, I grabbed the bottle of antidepressant and ran into the bathroom. I'm looking back now, could the antidepressant have killed me? Maybe, yeah. maybe not. Yeah. But right there, I was like, Anything. So, yeah. But I'll tell you something. Even as I ran into that bathroom, I was very happy that he came after me. So you still wanted to leave? I, I wanted to leave, which is also how I came to realize that most people who post things about being taking their lives, yes. it's, a it's a cry for, for help. help. Even at that time, at that particular moment, I was still thinking of my children, of my husband, all the people that have told to be strong, all the people that have told not to let life, um, life uh, deal them blows. Mm people that I have written about being strong, being this woman, you know, life has knocked me down many times. In that moment, it's crazy. But even as I tried to down the pills, I was happy that Sonny was in time to slap it off. And the, the trick is he put his feet, yes, he put his door. foot at the door. I bet in my leg, my leg, you're hurting me. And I'm sure he exaggerated. <laughs> <laughs> Just anything to get <laughs> anything. you to stop. So uh, one hand and the other hand, and you know it's not that effective like when you have both hands opening. Yeah. So, and I just broke down. I think that was the first attempt. The second attempt wasn't of my making. Right. It was triggered by medication. Ah, yes, there's that as well. It, it was triggered by medication, which I should not have been prescribed right. in the first place. Ah. After the break, with Chude continue. So what happened was, I was confused. My, I was, I was, I, I don't know the word for it. Not delusional, but I was just confused about everything. I felt, I felt um, not in charge of my body. I felt something was turning my whole system around and I wanted a way Come out. And I called the doctor and I'm like, this is how I'm feeling. And it's like, how many um, milligrams of this medication did you take? I said, as prescribed. Now I said, oh, take, oh, you should have started with 20 milligrams instead of 40 milligrams. Finally, yes. if, you were going to send, if you were going to send a message to your 16 year old self, mm -hmm. I mean, what would it be? I mean, you've talked about, you've written this in Morning Dew, yeah, yeah. but what would the one thing now be yeah. to her? Exactly. Why were you so afraid of living? Why were you so afraid of living, of being the best? Why were you so afraid to fly? Mm. Why were you afraid of greatness? Why were, you Why were you afraid of being phenomenal? Why were you afraid, always afraid? Why were you always afraid? Yes. Why were you always afraid? afraid. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank God bless you. You can call me my brother when you need a help. We all need somebody to lean on. I just might have a problem that you'll understand. We all need somebody.
Oh